Hi, hello, mamacitas. Welcome back to another episode of Dere Tells All. And just like I always say, I'm so happy that you are here listening and hopefully being an active participant in this conversation over on socials. Uh, today's episode is very special to me because as many of you know, I have left the education world. Um, I want to say permanently, but then part of me always says maybe not permanently, but at least for the time being, I have stepped away from that environment. And um, a lot of the reasons that led to that decision include feeling burnt out and losing the passion that I once had for that career. Um, so today I have a special guest who is a workplace well-being coach, and she's going to kind of talk to us about how to maintain a work-life balance and how to improve the well-being in the workplace. And I really wish that I had had this episode or this knowledge, this information, you know, a few years ago when I first started to feel this way. But hopefully this can reach someone who needs it now. Um, so I do encourage you to, um, you know, Make sure comment on the Instagram post, leave a review, send me a DM, send Kelsey a DM, um, or just, you know, just share the episode with someone who could benefit from the message of today's episode. So I won't keep you waiting. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today on the podcast, I have Kelsey Warren. She is a workplace well-being coach, and I'm so excited to have her on the show today. So welcome, Kelsey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Me too. I really want to dive in. Um, I, I found you on Instagram. You, like I said, you're a workplace well-being coach, and just like everything that you have shared so far resonated with me because I just recently quit teaching I left the education field many reasons we'll dive into it but just the things that you were saying I was like oh my god yes and I know I'm not the only person that feels that way so I want to talk about burnout quiet quitting setting boundaries all that good stuff but before we get to that uh let's take it back a little bit I want to get to know you like I want to get to know Kelsey who you are how you got to this particular field um yeah let's get to know you Okay, I will give you the very condensed version because okay. it is a long and winding path. So um, again, yeah, my name is Kelsey. I live in North Carolina. I have a three-year-old daughter. I am married, been married nine years as of last weekend. So that's exciting. That's more of the personal stuff. I have two fluffy dogs that I love. If you follow anything about me, you will see that I am obsessed with pizza. So that's just like my number one food of all time. That was your picture before you joined the Zoom. It was you. Yes. That. yes, exactly. It's like part of my brand at this point. <laughs> I think. Um, but other than that, professionally, I actually started out in the mental health space. So my bachelor's is in psychology. And while I was doing that, I worked at his residential treatment center, um, specifically with women or young ladies with uh, psychiatric issues. So it was an inpatient setting, very intense. Um, I did that while I was finishing my degree. And then I went into working for the Air Force. I'm also a military spouse. So that is a part of my journey as well and kind of explains all of the, the moves and the frequent positions. So uh, when I joined the Air Force, I worked with them as a contractor doing with the family advocacy program. So that's essentially the program that worked with 
the people on base as far with domestic abuse, child maltreatment. And so from there, I also became the domestic abuse victim advocate. So I have some advocacy background as well through that. I did that while I was getting my MSW. So I have a master's in social work. From there, transitioned into clinical therapy. I was an intensive in-home therapist, again, with children. That's kind of a theme prior to working with that. And that also kind of ties into, we'll probably get into workplace values a little bit, but that was just really hard for me to work with kids in settings that were very intense. And as I was pregnant and had my own daughter, it was just got really personal (laughs) with a lot of things. And my mental health was taking a toll just as far as burnout and just working in such, such intense settings around kids and just seeing some pretty intense. (laughs) I like keep saying intense, but that's like really the best way to describe it, I think. Uh, And so when I did intensive in-home, I got promoted to the clinical supervisor of that team. And that was really my first taste of like the back end business things, because I started to learn a little bit more about the why behind things, like why we had all this paperwork that we needed to be doing and why we had to meet census and why they were pushing so hard for referrals. So I was interested in that, but I also saw a disconnect between like the delivery of it to the staff and what the business was doing. And I also got sent to a ton of leadership trainings, like all of the Covey trainings that you can think of, like seven habits of highly effective people. And I really enjoyed learning more about that. But I also started to realize I enjoyed coaching and training and teaching the staff a lot more than I actually did the clinical therapy piece directly with those people that they were serving. So Throughout that, I kind of started to go on my own journey and it was very hard for me. And we'll probably talk about this with your journey too, especially in a helping profession to leave that field. There is a lot of shame. There's a lot of guilt around it. Even though I knew what I was getting into, like fully, I had worked in it like eight years prior. It was still very hard for me to let that piece go. You know, I was getting licensed. I had taken my exam. I paid for supervision. It was just a whole lot of emotion that I had to navigate, but I didn't love it anymore. It wasn't aligning with my workplace values. It wasn't aligning with my personal and family values as far as being on call 24 seven, you know, being there for my daughter that just really wasn't working out the way I had anticipated. And so took a shift, took a pivot to um, a relationship management job for a small business. And then there I got my taste of small business and like what that looks like as far as backend systems and processes, like really loved working with that team. I still contract with them now doing like leadership coaching and well-being for their team, but essentially helped them kind of set up some infrastructure, did some marketing for them, and then transitioned into a coach for a pretty well-known entrepreneur. And I coached his systems and processes, strategic planning for hundreds of business owners. So over the course of that year, I started to learn more, but there were also just some things that were going on that I just felt it was time for me to go out on my own. And at that point, it was like a complete convergence of everything clinical that I had learned and then all of the business stuff that I had learned and it kind of meshed into one thing, which is workplace well-being. And that is what I am doing right now. So that's the very condensed version. So (laughs) I love that. No, like you have a very specific niche, but it's a very much needed niche because I feel like there's not a lot of people who are able to combine 
the business side of things with like the mental health, well-being side of things. Um, and it's a conversation that we really need to be having, especially in this post-COVID world. Um, a lot of, like you said, a lot of the, like the um, like caretaking and service industries, like I'm thinking like fellow teachers, nurses, like anyone in healthcare, um, we're all struggling with a lot of these things. And um, yeah, no, so thank you for your background. You Obviously you are way more than qualified. <laughs> Um, so yeah, let's, let's dive into it. Um, honestly, I don't even know what to start with. Like, do you have, do you have, where do you want to start with? Um, for you, I'm just curious, like for you, what you found most difficult, like implementing well-being at work and especially like for you trying to, you have like maybe some conflicting things when you're trying to do this thing on the side and then you're doing like your, your nine to five and how you managed that. Yeah. So for me, it was a journey because, okay, so I um, started teaching in 2011. Um, and at that point, my whole world was teaching. Mm-hmm. I, my whole identity was teacher. I didn't have a life outside of that. I like, you know, I worked all day and then I came home and I worked some more. Mm -hmm. And it's funny now because like, I'll get my Facebook memories and all of my Facebook memories have to do with like teaching, teaching memes, teaching videos. Like it's like literally it consumed my world. Um, And I had to basically learn how to separate those two parts of myself. Like, what I do versus who I am. Cause I, I, there was a disconnect there. Um, so that's when I kind of also started my fitness journey. Cause at this point I was like severely overweight, severely unhealthy. So making that disconnect between again, who I was and what I do professionally was very important and a big life-changing moment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I have a very like leader type of personality that's just who I am um so I was always like team leads and like teaching and things like that so eventually I transitioned from teaching students to um an instructional coach teaching teachers so transition from teaching kids to teaching adults um it was a very hard transition for me I'm not going to lie teaching kids was fulfilling and fun teaching adults was frustrating and it just, it, it really, it broke me <laughs> to say the least. It broke me. And then on top of that, I had a very unsupportive admin team. Um, our values didn't align. Um, mm-hmm. They were very, I'm very like proactive. Like if I see something's going to happen, I want to plan for it. I want to have systems in place. Their, their leadership style was more reactive. It was like, let's just see what happens. And then we'll just put out the fires as they come along. And I, I can't do that. Like it, I, that's not how I operate. And so, yeah, it just, it led to, to burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. and I struggled a lot, well, I was doing, you know, teaching whatever full time, but then I was also, I had started my social media. I was doing my podcast. I was doing YouTube. I was doing all of these other things outside that like I had zero time for Teresa and I, I burnt out. Um, and then I was struggling with the decision. Okay. Something's got to go. Do I give up my, my profession? What I went to college for, what yeah. I literally have a degree for, or do I give up? my social media presence. And Mm -hmm. I kind of had to think about which one is really fulfilling me at the moment. 
teaching, my career, it was not fulfilling me. I would literally cry on the way to work. I like that last month was the hardest to like get out of bed and get my ass to work. Um, So yeah, I decided that I was going to leave. And there there was, like you mentioned before, there was guilt there because hello, like I went to school for this. Like I got a whole ass degree for this. Like what are are my parents going to think? Like I'm letting down my team. Like I I didn't care about my principals because they obviously didn't care about me, but like the people that I directly worked with, like my team and my teachers that I really loved and cared about that like I had some guilt there but in the end I realized you know I have to do what's best for me um and I I will be okay and they will be okay too it's gonna be an adjustment but this is the best course for me but I think acknowledging that I was burnt out was step one to be able to make these decisions and I think sometimes people don't realize one they don't realize that they're burnt out um and two if they do they don't know what to do about it. It's just yeah. like this continuous cycle of, you know, going through the motions. Mm-hmm. And I really want to, I hope that today's show kind of gives people some insight as like what they can do if they are burnt out, what they can do if maybe quitting isn't an option for them. Cause that's mm-hmm. not necessarily the option for everyone. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my journey. <laughs> yeah. It seems like we have very similar paths, like kind of alongside each other. And I think for you, you I, you were able to identify the values misalignments. You were ident- able to like really ground yourself in your values and make use those to make a decision. So I think that that's amazing to hear that. And congratulations again on like yeah. going full time. It's so exciting. Um, I think to your point about burnout, a lot of people don't recognize when they're in burnout for several reasons, but it does become more of a cycle. So if it's okay, I'll just explain a little bit about what that looks like. So. Burnout, essentially, the definition of it is chronic stress over time in an occupational setting. So this can really be anything to do with work, even if you are, you know, stay at home mom, that is still work, that's an occupation. So anything really occupationally that has chronic stress over time. And we often associate burnout with just like a a lot of work, but that's not, and that is one piece of it, but that's not always the case. So the way I frame it as you have, you're kind of in a relationship with your career in three different areas. You have you, your role, and the work environment. And there can be misalignments and things that are impacting you on all three levels that contribute to burnout. So in the work environment, it could be things like relationships with coworkers, your physical space. So, you know, if you in teaching, it's like you have zero control over, you know, sometimes, I mean, you do have control over the classroom, but not necessarily the people or kids in the classroom or the adults. Um, or the culture of the workplace as well. That's something that's really hard to change unless you have support from top level management. So those are some things that can contribute on that level. In your role, there could just be misalignments with what you're doing. You know, does it have meaning and purpose for you? Is it fulfilling that bigger passion that you have? Are the tasks that you're doing, like things actually give you energy versus take them away? And we know no job is perfect. It's not going to check every single box that we have, but you should be able to at least have some vigor and engagement throughout the day for the tasks that you're actually doing. And then also, if you're not able to manage your time effectively and your tasks effectively because of workload or just, you know, short staffed and things like that, and that also can contribute. And then on the personal level as well, just how you manage your personal routines and habits plays into things. But systemically, burnout is an organizational issue, yet as individuals, we are kind of, you know, it's not changing anytime soon, unfortunately. 
you know, I'm working <laughs> with small businesses, but I think we still have to be aware of what, what it looks like in order to help kind of change what we can control in those areas that for ourselves. And I think it's hard to notice at first because initially it just looks like feeling a little bit tired, kind of exhausted, which is similar to anything else that we go through in life right now, especially with the world and the state that it is. It's exhausting. And so it's hard to notice those initial warning signs. And then you get into more like cynicism, resentment. So things that just probably annoy you more than they typically would, like even if you get praise for something, it's like, oh, you probably, you know, <laughs> you're making it up. I'm all shaking these my head big time right now. Yep, yep. <laughs> and so it's really, especially in that, that level of it, it's hard to identify that you're actually in burnout because you're just so frustrated with everything that it's like, it feels like you can't get out of it. And then really end stages of burnout look like reduced professional efficacy, which means like you're dropping the ball or you're just not wanting to work as much. And so the cycle appears when you kind of go back and forth between those two. So you kind of you end up doing stuff like that. You're, you're either too tired to accomplish work as you typically would, or you just don't want to. And then you feel bad about it because you're not used to not putting out the quality of work that you're used to. And then you go into resentment again and you're like, I don't care that I'm not doing the work. And then you like you just bounce back and forth between feeling bad that you're not doing, you know, as much as you probably could or should, and then not caring necessarily that you are because the root cause just isn't addressed. And so people get into this cycle. I'll stop talking now. Do you have any thoughts based on that? I love that you clarified that it's not just a lot of work. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when people think burnout, it's like, I have a lot of work coming at me all at once. It's more than I can handle. But so, but I like that you clarified that sometimes it's just misalignments between mm-hmm. you and the workplace and, you know, like everything. Because I loved the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. I loved teaching. I loved my teachers. I just did not like the environment. I did not like the protocols. That's the part, like the mental stress of that mm-hmm. is what burned me out. And I, I've been very transparent about this, like on, on Instagram, how, um, you know, now that I've left the workplace and now that I'm reflecting and like I, I'm going to therapy, um, I realized that I had so much pent up stress, anxiety and depression mm-hmm. because of work. And uh, I mean, you know, I, I shared on my stories too, that I started Lexapro. I started antidepressants because yeah. like it, it, like it had gotten to that point. And um, I know at one point too, like I was going through medical issues and I was having like, I was going to lose my insurance. And the thought of having to go back to work to teaching just to get medical insurance back broke my heart. Like I was literally crying because I, I like, I cannot, like, I don't want to do that to myself because I knew how broken I felt and knowing that if I had to go back to that, I wasn't going to be me anymore. Yeah. Um. So I, I'm so glad that you clarified that, you know, it could be more than just an overabundance of, of work, but I totally understand the cycle of like resentment um, that you explained because I, I literally everything that you mentioned, I lived through everything of like every <laughs> single one of those. Yeah. 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 It is. It's a, it's a hard thing to recognize. And I think that there are, and I think initially when you said people that can't quit their jobs, like what do they do about that? And it is, there's a lot of people that 
are not in a position to quit for whatever reason. Not everyone wants to be a business owner. You know, people do need insurance. They need benefits. The state of the world right now, you know, recession talk, like not everyone's hiring. So I think it's important to let people know that even if you may be experiencing burnout, there are still some things that you can implement at work to do the best that you can to at least make it tolerable, hopefully enjoyable, you know, to a degree, even if there are some of those misalignments present. So I just like to like give people that glimmer of hope. Like there are, there are things that you can do, but I think it all starts with addressing what the root cause of the burnout actually is for you. It sounded like it was definitely like the administration piece. And so if you were to stay, I'm curious, and I don't want to like put you back into a traumatic experience, but knowing that now, like reflecting and having kind of like you were to able to pinpoint it's the, you know, it's definitely administration. Is there anything that you feel like you could have done in that moment to make it more tolerable for yourself? So I, I did the whole quiet quitting thing before mm-hmm. I knew that it was called quiet quitting. I, <laughs> I found that out recently. I was like, Oh shit, that's what I was doing. Um, so that I also talked to my admins superiors. Like I went up the chain um, mm-hmm. and I was even offered um to switch campuses. They even told me, well, okay, well, do you want to switch campuses? Maybe a new environment, same role, but different environment mm-hmm. might help. But I think at that point, I was just kind of to the point of like no return. I was like, no, yeah. I just need to step away. But yeah. that could have been an option. I could have, you know, switched up my environment. Um, I did consider leaving my coaching position and just going back to the classroom because like I said, I love teaching. So maybe I just needed a break from adults and work more with kids, which is what I loved anyway and what got me into teaching in the first place. Yeah. So I did I did kind of go back and forth with a few things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm sure I could have if I really wanted to. Yeah, you but explored deep, the options. Yeah, but deep yeah. down, I was like, no, I just want to take a break. And I always say that I don't think I'm done with teaching 100%. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future. Maybe this is my new teaching right here. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, putting content like this out in the world and helping others. Maybe it'll be like me going back and teaching kindergarten when I'm like 50 years old. I don't know. Yeah. But I just know that teaching is a part of me that I don't ever want to give up. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah. I think I can see that with you too. And it, right now what you're doing is definitely teaching. So those, <laughs> you can keep that going for sure and fill that bucket. So what you're describing essentially was like playing around with different ideas with, between you, the role and the work environment and seeing what you could adjust to maybe help combat the misalignment with mm-hmm. the work environment of the culture of the workplace. So that would be a good recommendation as far as a starting point that I would give people if they feel like they're in a position where they can't really quit right now is identify what the root cause is. So is it something with you? Is it something with the role? Is it something with the work environment? And then identify like the smallest change that you could possibly make. It doesn't always have to be like a complete overhaul of everything. But I have had people that, you know, just switch shifts or switch, you know, the work environment or they ask for a new manager, if that's the case. And at the same role, they're doing the same role, same company, and it does really help. So that is a potential option to consider. For some people, it's like, okay, I like the company I work for. I just don't like the work I'm doing. So then it's like a role shift and reversal. And if it's neither of those things, the you portion of this equation is where you have the most control. You like it just you you have the most control over you, your personal habits and routines, your thoughts, you know, your values. And so you're in this situation where work just stinks 
and you're in a rut, you're feeling burnt out, you got to take care of yourself first. So I know a lot of people when they get into burnout cycle, it's just like very much all or nothing type thinking, you know, if going to work is not enjoyable, it's not pleasant, then like nothing else can be either sometimes. And I've been there before too, like just really not pleasant to be around even outside of work because all I'm talking about is like how much work is impacting me, how negative it is. And, you know, I kind of had to, I was able to make the shift when I was burnt out by actually like reflecting and working on my personal habits and routines. Like I, you know, mental, spiritual, physical, like elevated all of those areas to the best of my ability, which then gave me the confidence to make an informed decision about the next step, which sounds like that's kind of what you did too. Like you worked on your fitness and got you to a place that you felt like, okay, I am ready to take a next aligned step because a lot of people just, it's, it, it feels like a lack of control. So once you like regain the pieces that you can actually control, I feel like it gives people the confidence to make decisions about what next steps could look like. Mm-hmm. I, I think I saw one of your reels is like you mentioned things that you can do that are in your control to kind of keep like yourself fulfilled. So like, I know you, every morning you go on your, your walk. I see every morning you post your story with your little like walk and stuff. So like, um, I love that because sorry for me it was like I couldn't do it before school but after school I would go to the gym and that's kind of like my alone time and I always said it too it was like yeah it's for physical health but honestly it was more for mental health because it's the one hour of the day where I don't have to worry about being a teacher being a coach being a mom being a, a, a content creator I could just zone out for one hour and take care of me yeah. um so I, that's one thing that I always tell people too, is like, you have to take care of you mm-hmm. and put things in place that are going to fill your bucket so that then you can continue and do like all the other areas of your life. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And what you're actually doing too, when you're working out and like what you just described was being in flow, like being in the zone with something like completely immersed in something. So regardless of what that is for you, I know it's not working out for everyone. It could right. be like a, a hobby or cooking or like, you yeah. know, podcasts or, you know, hopefully it's podcasts if you're listening yeah. to this. But like flow in general is a piece of engagement and it's part of what I like to call, well, I don't call it, but it is the perma theory of well-being. It's developed by Dr. Seligman, part of positive psychology, but essentially it's part of the recipe for flourishing or happiness. And so when you're able to have those moments throughout the week where you are completely immersed in something, and if you can recreate this at work to the best of your ability or even at home, it actually boosts the ability for you to stay engaged at work. It boosts the vigor and it also contributes to positive emotion just across the board. So working out for you, like obviously very healthy, but again, like you said, mentally as well. So I don't even, if you didn't even realize what you were doing, you were engaging in something that was putting you in that flow state. And that's the best thing that you can do. Yeah. Um, Are there any other suggestions that you can share with us for people who are experienced? First of all, where, I mean, you already kind of shared the, 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 symptoms of burnout like the resentment feeling the burnout feeling um but like what what else can someone do like so i'm thinking like okay let's say there's like a single mom she's a nurse right she can't really afford to quit um she's working 12 14 hour shifts Mm -hmm. so maybe going to the gym isn't for her she doesn't have the time she's got to go home be a mom right after nursing like what are some other like smaller things that 
she or he can do in like to kind of help with the burnout? Yeah, I think there, I mean, in each of those levels, so I'll go again, just you, your role in the work environment, some things that I like to start with with people and that you can still apply specifically at work. So with you, definitely just doing a quick audit of your routine in general, I think is a good thing. And that doesn't mean changing anything. It just means looking at it and being honest with yourself about what it does look like. So for that person that you described, you know, the times when they're working, maybe they do not have any time to do anything else, right? During that time. But the days when they're off, what does the routine look like? Are they doing things that actually do fill their cup? And sometimes with burnout, a good analogy is like when you're just trying to like replace it with all the self-care. But if the self-care isn't aligned with what you actually need, it's just going to like you have holes in your bucket and it's never going to stay filled. And so some of those holes are going to obviously be due to the workplace that you can't necessarily plug at the moment. So you want to fill the bucket with things that are going to make a bigger impact. Like instead of like a small, you know, teaspoon of water, you're putting an entire like, you know, three or four cups in at a time. So with that, it's like identifying what self-care actually means for you and knowing that it's not going to necessarily be the same as what you see on TikTok or Instagram, right? Like it's not always the aesthetic morning routine that everyone sees baths yeah exactly I hate taking baths like I have a wonderful bathtub and I'm just like I want to like this so much and I finally just gave it up because I'm like I don't actually enjoy this (laughs) right (laughs) and so I think it's all and also like honoring and recognizing that sometimes self-care is not something that's like fancy like hair and nails and things like that sometimes it's like okay I'm making this doctor's appointment that I've been putting off for a really long time that's been like causing me stress in the back of my head or you know I need to go and get my oil changed or you know something like that so I need you know have this pile of laundry over here I need to sit down and like let's do some like body doubling I just have a friend come sit with me while I do it. you know something like that that so just being like honest with yourself about what self-care looks like for you what your needs actually are in the use section In your role, going back to that engagement piece, I think that there are still things, so many things that you can do to stay engaged at work, even if you are experiencing burnout. And it could be really the simplest things. And I often like talk about just finding small pieces of joy throughout the day, wherever you can, especially if it's in a very stressful environment. So so for me, I'm like thinking back when I was in office mode, like stopping to get a coffee was like so enjoyable for me because when I sat down at my desk, like it just like, was there and it was something that was part of my routine but i like missed it when i didn't have it and it was something that i looked forward to something like cleaning off your workspace if that's something that is like you know it's it's in chaos and you need it to be fixed if you are you know a nurse or something like maybe buying yourself like a nice scrub cap that feels like you want to put on like the the small things that you can express gratitude toward and keep you just you know looking forward to something throughout the day, I think is really people underestimate the benefits of creating those small things. Or, you know, if you have a favorite podcast that you do listen to, like listening to it when you're on your way to work. Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that I would suggest just as far as like a work environment, like transition to and from work would be to have transitions to and from work. So a lot of people work remotely now or you know we have went from having these long commutes to where like that was kind of the time that you could decompress to now if you you either don't have a commute at all because you're working remotely or when you're driving home you're like ranting to your work bestie about all the things that happened or you're still talking like taking meetings on the phone on the way home like we've kind of like 
eliminated this transition period between work and home over time, just with technology and everything else that we have going on. So would strongly suggest auditing, like, again, what your transitions are between work and home, even in the morning and in the afternoon, because chances are there's kind of like maybe some some bleeding into, which is going to make it harder for you to disconnect from work after once you are at home. And so I just like to look at like different sensory things that you can do. So for me, like leaving my office, it's like I'm shutting off the light, like I'm having a different kind of music. I'm taking like mental notes of it. And I kind of give the example in the morning when I drop my daughter off at daycare, I'm listening to business podcasts, like fun things to get me in the zone for work. And then I was doing that also picking her up from daycare. And then it was really hard for me to shift off once we got in the house because I was thinking about everything I had just listened to. So I started listening to like fun music when I picked her up. So not only did she enjoy it, I probably like, <laughs> like enough with the podcast, but it was a really like it kind of it was a cue for my brain like hey this is playtime like this is no longer work time and those kind of things a lot of people i asked people on TikTok what kind of transitions they had and people had really good good ones some people like i change clothes i work out and you know go to the gym i take a shower to kind of like wash off the day just yeah things like that that you also underestimate the benefits of something that you can just quickly implement doesn't take too long to kind of help you reset the day. So those would be some good things. Again, boundaries. I know everyone talks about boundaries, but I wrote it down. I was going to talk about that. <laughs> okay. 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 So I'll <laughs> stop there. And then if you have anything and then we'll get into boundaries. No, like everything that you're, you're saying, like, you know, for me, it triggered the word boundaries because boundaries is a very big thing that I think people struggle with. Women especially struggle with boundaries. Um, and me as a first gen Latina woman daughter in my family, yes, I have struggled with boundaries a lot too, because yeah. growing up, it's like, I'm the oldest. So I set the example. I do as I'm told, like it's, it, it's a whole thing. But anyway, when, <laughs> yeah, but so when COVID first started and everybody was like quarantined and working from home, we were doing in, um remote school. So we were doing it from home. Right. So my specialty in instructional coaching was technology. What were we using to do school? technology. So who was the one who was working literally 24 seven? Me. Um, yeah. And at that, you know, at school, when teachers needed me, they could shoot me an email, they could swing by my office, they could catch me in the hallway. But when we were working remotely, they couldn't do that. So mm -hmm. my principal gave the entire school my cell phone number. So people are calling me yes. at all hours of the day. Yeah. Teresa, how do I do this on Google Drive? Teresa, how do I create this assignment? Teresa, blah, 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 blah. How do I put this lesson on YouTube, etc.? So at that point, you know, everyone was like all hands on deck. Everyone was working. I didn't mind. I was, I actually felt pretty fulfilled. The fact that people were coming for coming to me and asking for help. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. But then when we went back to school, some people kind of got used to that. Like I can just text Teresa or call her at 11 PM and she's going to help me. And I had to set a boundary where like, if a coworker called me past 5 PM, I didn't answer. If a coworker texted me 5 p after 5 p.m., I would reply back and say, hey, let's let's chat about this tomorrow when we're back on campus. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't want to be like a bitch about it. But at the same time, like I had to set a boundary because yeah. I, I like I, I 
kind of already felt where I was headed if I didn't like set that boundary. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing, like I had to set boundaries. Like once we were back in school, like, hey, if my door is open, open door policy, come on in, ask away. But if you see that my door is closed, like I need you to like, don't just barge in my office. Yeah. So little things like that to like set boundaries that kind of helped my workflow. And then also helped me with a, like a work life balance was very important. So yes. I like that you mentioned things like, you know, after, after when you went to go pick up your daughter after school, you switched from like business podcasts to fun music. That's like a personal boundary that yep. you set that you recognized you needed. Kind of yes. like when I said, you know, I recognize like I'm not answering texts and emails after 5 p.m. So I love that you mentioned that because it may be hard and we might feel guilty setting those boundaries, but they are so necessary. Yes. So necessary. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I think you bring up a good point too, in that it's boundaries are not always like I'm leaving work at five. It is a, there's a whole, you know, realm of boundaries. You have emotional boundaries, financial, you have physical boundaries, relational, like they're in each one of those three categories. I could name off like tons that you could set and think about with emotional boundaries. I would say think about the emotions that you take on from other people and really kind of focus on setting a boundary with like, okay, I'm making this decision that really helps with like the guilt and the shame around doing it. And other people's emotions are also like in their control as well. So Mm -hmm. that's a hard one. And I think that a lot of people that do get into burnout cycles have tended like helper tendencies, people pleasing, um, kind of like this productivity equals worth Mm -hmm. thoughts that emerge. And so definitely with emotional boundaries, that's important. I think with this, like you have physical space boundaries as well. Like when, especially in remote work, I think a lot of us learned, okay, I need a door like between family (laughs) or something, you know, in that case, or even in the classroom or just in the work environment, you know, knowing that if you, you need to take a break, if you need to step away, maybe you don't go sit in, you know, the office and chat with everyone else while they're eating lunch. Maybe you need like an actual, time off, or maybe you do go sit with them because you want to talk to adults versus kids, you know, thinking about what that looks like. And then boundaries around your time and tasks too. like your job description is in itself a boundary if you have one. So not taking on all these extra duties if you don't have time and things like that. So, I mean, that probably goes into quiet quitting a little bit. Yeah, I was going to get to that one too. (laughs) Just know if you are having trouble with boundaries similar to self-care, you need to take a look at your own life and figure out what makes sense for you to implement and also in the way that you implement them. There's a lot of great scripts out there for boundaries, but some of them are just like really aggressive. <laughs> like, you know, some of it's like, okay, you have to do what feels natural to you. So maybe it's not this like strict, like I will not do this, this and this, but it's like, okay, letting people know, Hey, I'm working on this aspect. I would appreciate it if you could help me out by respecting that you don't do X, Y, and Z. You know, it, it looks differently depending on the person. If you're confident and just like saying hard no, then like by all means go for it. But I feel like a lot of people do have this fear about coming across, you know, a very aggressive in, in their boundary setting and you don't have to be necessarily. That's so I like to throw that out. Like you can, you can set boundaries and say no yeah. with a nice tone so that yeah. you don't come off harsh. Yeah. yeah. Or you can be harsh if you need to. <laughs> okay. I've had to sometimes, I've yeah. had to sometimes and that's okay too. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes like in the past when I've kind of had to be harsh about it, the other person then reflected and then they would come to me like, Hey, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have asked that. Or, Hey, I was probably out of line. Like, yeah, 
you yeah. are. <laughs> but yeah, no. enforcement for sure. Especially when it's like you're you're not initially setting something, you're trying to retract something that's already been established. I would like explain it like, okay, you get a new puppy and it's been, you know, sleeping on the couch. You don't want it to be on the couch anymore. It's a lot harder to just tell the puppy right off the bat, like, hey, you're not getting on the couch than to like have a full blown dog laying on the couch and be like, oh, by the way, not anymore. I want you off the couch. It's going to look at you and be like, no. <laughs> like, <I'm not. laughs> what are you talking about? No. That's so, not <laughs> yeah. So reinforcement is needed. That's to be expected. So if you get pushback initially, just remember that it takes some practice on both ends, your end and their end, wherever you're setting the boundary. Yeah, no, I love that. And I also like that you explain that there's different kinds of boundaries because one other boundary that I had to set is there, there was a very negative coworker mm-hmm. and anytime that you, that anyone is near that, it's just like, she like sucks all the energy out of the air. And then it just like puts you in this like bad mental space mm-hmm. for the rest of the day and it ruined your day. So one of my other boundaries that I had when I was at work is I would avoid that person at all costs. Like if she needed me, obviously I had to go because that's my job. Mm-hmm. But if I didn't need to see her or be around her or even near her classroom, I would avoid it all, at all costs. That, that's like a just a mental, physical yeah. space, like Energy all boundary. of the emotional <laughs> boundary. Because yeah. it's like, I don't need her, you know, ruining my day with her negative remarks and stuff. So um, yeah, even if it's something like staying away from someone at work, mm-hmm do yeah. it. And, and yeah. I can't tell you how many times, you know, you mentioned um, work, I'm sorry, lunch. There are days when I needed adult conversation. So yeah. I would eat in the teacher's lounge. Yeah. There were days when I was so taxed that I just wanted to turn off all the lights and sit at my desk and eat my lunch in silence by myself. Yeah. Um, so recognizing your needs, I think, mm-hmm. is very important too, because if you recognize the need, you're able to fill that need, that, that the void that you're, yep. that you're needing. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Um, let's move on to quiet quitting. Because um, <laughs> like I said, that was something I was doing that I didn't realize I had a name. Um, And you mentioned that you don't like the term quiet quitting. And I don't either. I don't like it. I think it has a negative connotation to it. And it shouldn't be a negative thing. Yeah. So um, you're the you're the pro here. So I'm gonna let you explain what quiet quitting is. Yes, yes. So I again, my like exactly what you said, my stance is we should not call it that I think it just should be called work life boundaries, because it's not necessarily quitting. First of all, you're not quitting anything. And it has also been around for a very long time. So this is not a new phenomenon by any means it you know referred to by other generations as work to rule or when you're like referencing unionizing and things like that people not like really feeling like they shouldn't do what's outside of their job description because that is not what they were there to do right so with that little backstory what it looks like is people that typically are going you know above and beyond at work they're taking on extra duties they're maybe like training people they're doing things that are outside of what their role was initially intended to do. And it's essentially these people kind of quietly pulling back and just doing more of what's on their job description. Some people, you know, are trying to frame it as like these people don't want to work or, you know, they're just doing the bare minimum to get by. I wouldn't necessarily call it that either. Like in your case, it seems like you just recognize that all of the extra 
that you were doing wasn't really being recognized by leadership and it was also taxing you. And so it's like, why, why would I, you know, I'm not getting paid more to do it, not getting recognized to do it. You know, the impact is limited because my hands are tied in some cases. And so I need to get myself back in order, put some boundaries in place and just still do my job. And I think that's an important thing. Like with this, I mean, sure there's some outliers, but people are still doing their jobs. Like it's not that they are not, you know, not working, right? It's that they're just simply going back to what they're, what's on their job description for the most part. And so there's this kind of uproar about quiet quitting and what it means and why it happens. I think it's just very interesting because it, we're just, it's, it's coming about again, mostly because of TikTok, you know, exploding the term, but I think a lot of people are resonating with it because it's like, yeah, I don't feel appreciated. I'm not getting paid more. I'm doing three people's jobs, like especially with layoffs and things that have been happening mm-hmm. or in the, you know, the healthcare and helping environments in general, everyone's short staffed. It's like, okay, like I would love to help all and do all of these things, or maybe I wouldn't love it, but you also have to take care of yourself because an organization, the priority is typically not on the people, it's on the profit. And that's just the reality of you know, the country that we live in specifically. So I think that that's, it's just an interesting thing to be talked about right now. I think a lot of people have thoughts on both ends of it, but I think organizationally people need to look at, you know, if you have people that are typically, you know, very engaged, they're very talkative in meetings, they're giving ideas and they're, you know, willing and able to volunteer for all these things. And they start kind of pulling back on things. They just become a little bit more quiet. They, you know, put their head down and work type mentality. Like that's typically an indication that there's some sort of misalignments with the role or the work environment. And that's a brief overview of without going too much into all of like organizational logistics. Yeah. No, no, a hundred percent. And okay. So in education, it's kind of expected for you to go above and beyond. Mm-hmm. You know, we get paid for 40 hours a week. Teachers are probably working closer to like 60, 70 hours a week. Yeah. We don't have time to grade during school. Your conference is maybe like 30, 45 minutes. You can't possibly grade 120 things in that time frame. You also yeah. have parent conferences. You also have meetings. You also have trainings. So most teachers are going to work outside of school. Yep. On top of that, anytime there's things like open houses, anytime there's like committees, anytime there's like events, it is expected for teachers to participate. We're not getting paid for it, mm-hmm. but you're expected to participate. And if you don't participate, then you know people look down on you, admin looks out on you, other teachers look down on you. So you're kind of like on this double-edged sword where like you you know, are going to be judged for not doing it, but then you also need to take care of you. Um, And for the longest time, I, I consider myself an overachiever for as long as I can remember, ever since I was a little kid, I've always been like the overachiever. I always like to volunteer for things. I like to lead things. I like to be in charge of things. That's just my personality. Um, So I would always do that. But then, like I said, with my admin, they weren't supportive. They didn't care that I wasn't getting paid extra. There was no recognition. Like one time I got like teacher of the year or whatever, but that was because I earned it from my fellow teachers. I didn't yeah. earn it from my admin, from my supervisor. They didn't care. Um, no. So 
things like that, I started like thinking like, why? Why am I doing all of this extra stuff if it's not benefiting me? Like, I, I get that, that, you know, the kids need a club sponsor. I understand if there's no club sponsor, there's no club. And I feel for the kids. But at the same time, like, what am I getting out of it? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I like I had to kind of scale it back. And for the longest time, I used to hate when people would tell me things like, um, that's out of my pay grade. Or that's not in my job description because as an overachiever, I would be like, wow, you're so fucking lazy, but they're, they're really not. If it's not in their job description, then they don't really have to do it. And I was just judging them based on my perception of me, mm-hmm. not really realizing that that is their boundary. Like they're choosing to, you know, stick to their job description. And in the end, that's a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. So then I started doing that, sticking to my job description and doing the things that I needed to do and do and I did them well yeah and then sometimes every once in a while if I had the energy um I would volunteer for an extra thing here or there but essentially what I was doing was quiet quitting and I didn't realize that's what I was doing and (laughs) yeah so like I am now having lived through that I am for quiet quitting I don't like the name, but I'm here for the action of setting that boundary yes. and, and living to your job description. Yeah. 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 I think too, going back to the outcome of the role for you, like, you know, three years ago, if your goal was to maybe move up in administration and be, you know, a principal or something of that nature, like you approach that differently and the level of output based on the outcome. If you are working at a role to simply gain experience and it's a stepping stone for you to the next role, like that's a different outcome than if you were looking to gain a promotion or climb, you know, I don't like to say ladder, but, but, you know, just do what you need to do in the corporate setting. You know, if your goal is to simply put food on the table and have healthcare and make it through life, because it's hard right now, like that's also a different outcome than those other two. So I always like to remind people, you know, and reflect like, what is the outcome of the role that you're in right now? Is it still serving the same purpose for you that it once did, like when you first started it? You know, I know for me in therapy, it's like, I want to get licensed and like, I want to be, you know, fully licensed so I can own a private practice. And I'm willing to put up with all of this additional things because you just have to do it to get to that point. And it's just part of the process. And then along the way, it's like this outcome, like, I don't actually want that end goal anymore. So why am I putting up with all the things that I initially said I would now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, same thing with like grad school. Because so Mm -hmm. originally, I wanted to become um, like a curriculum specialist for the district. So, you know, you have to go through all of these different levels in the in the school system, you have to get your master's degree. And literally, I applied for my master's program, got accepted, was about to start registering for classes. I'm like, why? I don't even want to do this anymore. Like, why am I putting myself through this? So I ended up not going to grad school. And um, that was one of the best decisions I think I've ever made is not putting myself through grad school for something that I knew deep in my heart that I really didn't want to do. I just kind of kind of got used to going through the motions and trying to, you know, move up, move up the ladder, quote unquote. Um, Yeah, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> um speaking of um quiet quitting and setting boundaries I am a big advocate of taking your personal and sick days because mm-hmm. as a teacher I did not take them and yeah. by the time I left the classroom I had hundreds of days because I never used them because I was like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't leave my kids. I can't leave my team. I don't want to sub. Um, like, I don't want, I didn't want to let people down. 
But again, that's what led to burnout. So I am a big believer of mental health days and taking your personal days. They're there for you. That's literally what they're there for. And I think that you should be able to take them without guilt. So literally like the last like year and a half of teaching, once I made the decision that I'm going to quit, I burned through those babies so quick. I was taking, I went, I went to Paris. I went to Colorado. I was like, peace. Cause I mean, I was going to lose them. He's either use them or lose them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it made me like think about like, damn, I really wish I would have used them more when I was still in the classroom. Like those days when I was just so tired and I just needed a mental day to myself. Mm -hmm. I wish that I had taken them then. So now when people like, you know, say them like, take a mental health day, take a sick day pick a personal day. It's okay. They will be fine without you for one day. Yes, definitely. I would agree. I think my husband likes to say the work will always be there. And that's, I mean, it's true. And regardless of the industry, I know most people, it's like you have everything that you have to do today, plus a to-do list. And regardless if you accomplish everything that you need and that to-do list, then when next morning you wake up, it's like filled up again anyway. So, and I know like being respectful and knowing that some people are in roles when you take extended time off, you know, a week plus, it's like, it is really hard to come back. Like the influx of work and emails and prep for, for taking time off almost feels like a job in itself. And I get that, but like, you're so right. Like they're there for you the time away, like regardless if the company is prepared for you to take time off or not, like it's still yours to use and you should use it. My only caveat with that would be if you are expecting time off and vacation to cure burnout, that's not going to happen. No, no, no. Because again, like not addressing the root cause of things. Yeah. A lot of people will, I've been seeing a lot of people like they're, you know, People like either HR or their therapists are just recommending a leave of absence and take a leave of absence and, you know, everything will be fine once you come back. And to the, like, it's just, it's like, you know, a little bit heartbreaking when I see these people because they take three months off, you know, they use this leave and then they feel the same amount of dread and anxiety that Sunday night before they go back that they did the Friday when they left because the root cause isn't addressed. And so, if you're going to take that time off or you're going to take any kind of vacation or do mental health days, like again, going back to what we initially talked about, like do the things that are going to make the most impact for you during that time. Take, like reflect on what boundaries you need to set and come back with a different game plan because coming back with the same plan that you had initially is still the same thing that you left. Yeah. So setting boundaries, personal days, quiet quitting. I, I, who you are versus what you do with guilt. We've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to cover. If there's anything else that you want to talk about that you want to share, you know, the floor is open. Um, but yeah. I don't know. I mean, we have talked covered a lot, like essentially yeah. hit all the points, but I think just reminding people again, like it's okay if you need to stay, it's okay if you need to go. I think rooting all of those things back to your values is probably what the best advice that I could have. Use those to make decisions, use those to stay engaged. And I think that when you do that, when you figure out identifying that there are misalignments in the first place can be kind of a hard thing. It's like almost like slap in the face or realization of like, oh, like this feels weird. Like I've been living kind of like misaligned for a while. It feels just like kind of this on like constant friction in the background. But like once it comes to light, it's hard to ignore (laughs) that that's there. But I think that it is like getting really clear on those things, both personally and professionally 
are really the key to moving forward with well-being at work and at home. And I think that just recognizing that work and home and well-being in general is a very holistic process. So you can do what you can at home, but if things aren't well at work, it's going to bleed into home and vice versa. So just kind of taking that approach with you, your community, your support systems, and just also asking for help and letting people know if you need to go to therapy, go to therapy. If you need to talk to a coworker, talk to a coworker. If you want a coach, get a coach, you know, do what you need to do to help yourself in this situation, especially if it's one that you need to stay in right now, because there are things and tools available out there to at least make it a little more bearable. Absolutely. And I remember the first time I went to therapy, I just want to throw this out there. First time I went to therapy, um, I didn't really know about like online therapy because it was, it was a while back. Mm-hmm. So I remember I would have to, I don't condone this, but I would have to sneak out of work like 10 minutes early so I could make it to my therapy appointment on time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't condone that. But like now there's so many more options. There's like online yeah. therapy, you know, like definitely look at out. And, and I have a whole other episode on seeking therapy. So go back through my episode list and you'll find it. I think it's called like asking for therapy or finding therapy or something like that um but yeah definitely definitely agree on all of that well um everyone please make sure that you follow kelsey um on instagram i will put her handle in the episode notes she does a lot of awesome like reels and content and things like that you can put in like you can start practicing in the moment to um create a better well-being space in the workplace and work-life balance um and once again kelsey thank you so much for joining me today's episode and i'm excited to hear the feedback so thank you thanks for having me i appreciate it all right bye guys <laughs>